I'm Shelley Lyle. And I'm Brian Avery. And welcome to Voices from the Field, a podcast brought to you by the Department of Sport Management at the University of Florida. This podcast was created to share the career journeys of sport industry professionals. Our hope is that you learn the ins and outs of different sport industry professions. We are excited to be with all of you this week and with our special guest, Chris Park. Chris is a Deputy Athletic Director at Washington State University. So Chris received his bachelor's in business administration and his master's in sport management from Texas A&M. He worked in various collegiate athletic roles, including Texas A&M's 12th man team rewards program coordinator. Now there's a mouthful, right? <laughs> Houston's athletics external operations coordinator and Texas State University's assistant athletic director. Chris led the University of Texas El Paso as deputy athletic director before he moved to Washington State University, where he is currently the deputy athletic director in external relations. Thank you for being with us today, Chris. It's a real pleasure. Brian Shelley, thanks for having me. And I've got to say, on the intro of the show, I almost felt like I needed to start doing that. <laughs> there will be time at the end for another one. Don't you worry. We leave space. I and we appreciate it. the enthusiasm, Chris, that you're willing to do that for our UF people. Well, that's, uh, I'm excited to be here. I always love sharing my experience. Um, feel very fortunate and blessed to, to have this role in intercollegiate athletics. I tell people all the time, the line would be miles and miles out the door to have my job. So even on the toughest days, yeah. I'm very thankful to have this job and to share my experiences with the next generation that will have my job one day. Excellent. Good. We're looking forward to your responses. Yeah. And with that being said, can you share a bit about your career journey? We've heard where you've been, but I want to hear a little bit starting maybe with university and when you knew you wanted to work in collegiate athletics and kind of why. So it, it, it kind of starts out with the University of Florida. Um, after my junior year at Texas A&M, I worked at TCU and I was a marketing intern that summer and I did everything a great intern is supposed to do. Um, that was pre-internet days. I had the yellow pages. I created sheets for our, uh, our ticket staff to call church organizations, youth organizations, uh, basically worked in group ticket sales marketing. Uh, I cleaned out closets. I organized uh, promotions for the fall. I even dressed up as the Super Frog uh, at TCU in the morning for a, a youth day that summer. That experience set me on the path of saying, hey, I know I want to be around college athletics. I've been an athlete my entire life. I always thought I wanted to be in professional baseball. But after that summer internship, I said, I want to stay in intercollegiate athletics. So my mentors told me I needed to go get my master's. I needed to go get more experience while getting a master's and working in an athletic department. So I applied in two places, Texas A&M and the University of Florida. We have family in Florida, and I was ready for a different experience. Um, had a great visit to campus, was signed, sealed, and delivered, um, was accepted. I couldn't find an opportunity there. I didn't have an opportunity in the athletic department or with another organization. So sadly, my career at the University of Florida never took off, but at Texas A&M, I was afforded an opportunity to be a, a volunteer graduate student worker in the athletic department. And uh, in my first year, I just kind of did everything just to get my foot in the door at Texas A&M as a grad student. In my last year, I had an opportunity to run the 12th Man Team Rewards Program, which Dr. Sagas at the time was very familiar with. He was my uh, professor at Texas A&M, obviously now at University of Florida. But that GA experience really set me on a path to go get a full-time job. Um, and, and just getting my foot in the door, being willing to do anything at Texas A&M uh, was, was what got me a first job at Sam Houston State. I was their first ever external operations coordinator at an FCS school in 2004. Um, at that time, an FCS school, you, you couldn't tell the difference between an FCS school and a Division II school. They just were not heavily staffed on the administrative side. So my experience in doing everything as an intern at Texas A&M helped me as a full-time employee at Sam Houston because I was asked to do everything because we did not have problems. So I got my hand in marketing and corporate relations. I did some broadcast work. So it was a true 60 job. Um, I knew I needed a level job that was more honed in in one area. That opportunity came at Texas State where I could just focus on fundraising. I led a fundraising team at Texas State during a time where they were transitioning from FCS to FBS. Um, there were a lot of facility bills, campaigns to go from that FCS level to FBS. When I left in 2012, they were transitioning into the WAC, and they're now a member of the Sunbelt Conference. So really proud of my time there. 
on a leadership team, being a part of the school that made the jump, that went to another level. Uh, the journey to El Paso, Texas at UTEP was, was so memorable for me. It was the first journey for my family. Um, uh, we, we had a young family. It was the first move where we had to leave and, and get away from our loved ones. And uh, working for Bob Stoll at UTEP was a tremendous blessing. Uh, Bob has been a tremendous mentor to many other deputy ADs, to coaches. And it was my first true high-level administrative job where I oversaw sport programs, I oversaw all of our external units, uh, and really was a high-level administrator making coaching decisions, high-level revenue decisions, working with campus, uh, and just a tremendous experience. And then when Pat Chung called me to come up to the great Northwest, I tell people I went from the Mexican border to the Canadian border, uh, state, and to do essentially the same job at UTEP, but now at the Power Five level in the Pac-12 is really special. Uh, to, to know that uh, we are the, the institution with such a huge passionate fan base I'm not wearing the Cougar brand. I'm wearing the, I'm sorry, the letters on the, on the shirt, but that famous Washington State Cougar head that's known nationally, the flag that flies on every college game day, such a passionate fan base. Um, it is truly special to be a part of it. And then the Pac-12, the Conference of Champions, uh, the Pac-12 has so much history, so much hardware across all sports from football to volleyball, soccer, our Olympic sports. We have more Olympians than you can count. Uh, so just a tremendous opportunity, but I think the journey, every step of the way prepared me for a high level administrative role that I have now. I didn't try to skip steps. I didn't try to do something I wasn't prepared for. I let my career advance as it needed to advance. And I think that's a good lesson for everyone on the screen today. Yeah, that's awesome. It's super helpful for our students. I think what you spoke about, even at the beginning, being a GA and going, hey, I, this is like the school. I'm there, my family, this seems perfect, but this is where my opportunity is. It's really helpful for them um, just to know that it is hard to get it, you know, an opportunity. And so when you have it, that is where you build your network, where you get your next chances. And so we always tell our students to start young, like freshman year, if there's opportunities, you should be volunteering. But especially going to grad school. Um, so yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense. And then what, um, in your current role, what, what are your daily duties? And um, I'm gonna backtrack for one second actually, is you mentioned that you know your external relations on multiple deputy athletic director roles you had. So how did you decide what direction you would take? Because there's a lot of, at a power five school, there's a lot of ADs, associate ADs, senior athletic ADs, there's multiple names, but they all do various roles. And so can you speak about how you chose external relations? Yeah, uh, Shelly, great question. I think my skill set, and hopefully it's coming through on the screen, is a relationship-based person, a, a public-facing person, someone that wants to interact with the community, uh, that, that is a, gr a good communicator, that wants to present, that wants to tell the story. And if you're a storyteller, those fit the boxes of marketing, ticket sales, fundraising, which is your external relations units. So that, that was kind of the path that I that my personality and skill set uh, was set for me. Uh, now, I've been able to add the administrative piece where I do a lot of stuff behind the scenes, which I'll talk about here shortly. But you want to take your core values of what you're really, really good at and try to find those areas that fit. And for me, again, marketing, fundraising, forward facing was, was a, uh, just a natural transition for me. As I, as I advanced in my career. Here at Washington State, I, I tell everyone, I, I oversee all of our external areas except for fundraising here. So if it leaves the department, it's a unit that falls under uh, my org chart. So um, outbound, outbound ticket sales, internal ticket operations, corporate partnerships, marketing, fan experience, digital advertising, digital media, creative video, social media, graphic design, Again, again, all those outward facing units fall underneath my org chart. And then the administrative side that, I, that I, I've really grown to love here is I'm the liaison for athletic director to our government affairs team in Olympia. Um, I'm our liaison with our student government association. And then I oversee our baseball program. So those are the administrative roles separate from the day-to-day -day external responsibilities. Yeah, just a few things. I mean, <laughs> I mean, goodness. I mean, I know they divide like and and again, this is something for students to realize is like universities divide different programs. Um, everyone's different. Right. So like certain ADs have certain 
teams that like is also a part of their job um, and they can be spread out various ways from my understanding, at least even just hearing you, it's very different at Florida and who does what in some degree. And so for what are your day in and day out kind of duties and roles um, in all of those areas, I suppose? <laughs> so I, I think uh, Shelly, it's really seasonal. Um, so right now in the heart of football season, I am looking at numbers every single day. Where are we with single game sales, group sales? What are our student attendance trends? What's our season ticket holder open rate in terms of downloading their digital ticket? How many came to week one and week two? Will they be here week three when SC comes to town? So because so much of our budget is tied to revenue around football, I spend a lot of time in revenue during football season. Now, as we lead up to football season, we're looking at revenue trends, but we're also looking at, hey, what's our communication going out about football, men's and women's basketball in the fall, soccer and volleyball? How are we preparing to engage those fan bases? So it's very seasonal. Um, I will say, though, because football, uh, as we know, is the revenue driver in Power Five uh, athletic departments. I'm thinking about football probably every day, but I've got to make sure our team is also thinking about serving our student athletes across our 15 varsity sports. So we've got to have conversations that are very macro, and then we've got to have conversations that are very micro that are essential to the future of our athletic department. Um, our athletic director, Pat Chun, is the best in the business when it comes to outbound communication. Um, and my office helps his team with outbound communication because Pat is on uh, so many committees, so many interview requests, and he always wants to be dialed in on his message. So we're probably meeting once or twice a week on messaging points for Pat, what he's talking about with the media, with the community, within committees, especially with all the issues going around college athletics. So I would say revenue, trends, numbers, outbound communication, and then especially on the digital and creative side, at 42 years old, I know enough about those areas, but I am not an expert. And I trust our experts in those areas to be cutting edge on all those fronts. And you got to hire great people. And I feel like we have a great team here at Washington State on, on that side. Listen, I'm getting dizzy just keeping up. Uh, <laughs> I'm you get where I'm coming from. I mean, you wear a lot of hats at this point. Uh, and, and I completely agree. I mean, the game's changing from a social media perspective and just keeping up in those spaces, if you will, uh, is almost impossible. Especially, I mean, I'm about your age too. I look like I'm 40 years older than you, but uh, <laughs> rough time now and there. But nonetheless, as you've progressed with your career uh, as an athletic director and in anything in that sense, how do you feel you've evolved as a leader, an innovator, and as a person? Yeah, um, I, I think as, as you evolve in this career, there's a level of maturity and leadership. Mm -hmm. and, and not to say that I couldn't lead at 22 years old mm -hmm. or 30 or 42 I think the type of leadership and how you go about that leadership is, is different. Um, I, I lead now a team of six to seven unit directors, where in my first job, I led, led a team of 10 interns. And I was trying to motivate 18 to 21 year olds at Texas A&M in 2001 and 2002. Um, that's a different type of leadership style than six directors that have their own units and you want to give them the autonomy to lead their units and, and not be that micromanager that we always talk about. So I would say maturity and leadership and each person that reports to me is different. They have different personalities. I've got to know how to get the most out of Brian Avery and how to get the most out of, uh, out of Shelly. And it may be different. How I communicate with Shelly may be a little bit different with Brian. So I've had to learn in my career to adjust my leadership style to the room. Uh, you always hear in public speaking, know the room know who you're talking to. I think it's the same in leadership. Know your team, know their style, know their strengths, know their weaknesses. Um, if I know a person's strengths, we're not going to talk a lot about those issues in our one-on-one -on -one meetings because I know they're they're you know kicking butt and taking names. Yeah. If I know maybe where their weaknesses lie, I'm thinking about how to strategically talk about those to motivate that staff member to get the most out of them. We work in a really fast-paced environment where a lot is coming at so many different people and they're all in different ages and spectrums of their career. So I've always got to make sure I'm putting on the I'm meeting with Brian hat. I'm meeting with Shelly hat. Now, that doesn't change expectations. I expect here for Brian and I expect here for Shelly. It's just how you go about communicating the message is different with different employees. Probably the thing I've learned the most in leadership over 20 years. Yeah, no, but that's interesting. I mean, considering how fast paced the industry is. 
you're talking about a slow evolving process of relationship building where you really begin to understand those that are working around you and with you. And that's not easy. I mean, to, to develop those kind of relationships over time. So you understand Brian Avery's weaknesses and Shelly Lyle's weaknesses and how to capitalize on their strengths mm -hmm. and, and so on. So, I mean, how do you find the time considering all the hats that you, you wear to build those relationships? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brian, I, I, I try to do a lot of check-ins. I try to leave from out the front of my desk. So for example, on a football game day, I make it a point to stop by every unit that, that reports up through me. So I make sure I go by every ticket booth and see every ticket staff member. I can't help one bit. I can't run their computer systems. <laughs> I, I, I stay out of their way, but I make sure they see me and know, hey, right. Chris is here to help. Um, I, I go by our corporate sponsorship sales tents and say thank you to our corporate partners that are invested in the game. I go by our game day control booth and wish our PA guy and our, and our, our marketing staff member that's on headset, give them a fist bump. Hey, go have a great game. It's really just showing your staff that you're there for them. Could I do some of their jobs still? Probably so. Would I be very good at it? I don't know. I've been out of some of those roles for so long. So all I can do is be a great motivator. Uh, make sure they know I'm there to help them, support them. And I try to do the same thing in our in, in the office. I meet with each of our direct reports once a week. We may have a thousand agenda items or we may have zero, but they always know they have 45 minutes to an hour in my office okay. just to discuss. So I try to always make time and I go try to see them where they are on game day or at their events. Uh, I love that response and it's helpful for our students kind of gauge beyond just the office, what the role will look like if you get where I'm coming from. So now as you've progressed through this and, and looking back, you know, your early years in this industry, what's one thing you wish you had known before you started your career that would have been instrumental in, in, in propelling you forward or just kind of giving you a, that edge? Boy, Brian, that, that's, that's a really, really good one. I, you know, um, I, I would say that the term self-awareness, Okay. Um, I have learned a tremendous amount from our athletic director, Pat Chun. He, he is one of the best. He's on every committee, um, nationally recognized. Um, I do more self-examination in the last three years as a leader than I did in my previous 17. Now, my leadership style was successful enough to advance in my career, but I feel like I do more self-reflection on how I can improve in the role I am in now than I ever did before. And that's not because I was self-centered or thought I had all the answers. Yeah. I just never had a leader like Pat Chun to say, Chris, where do you think you can improve? And let's really talk about it. I'll, I'll never forget. I'd been on the job for three months and I'm in Pat's office. I'm still trying to impress my new boss. And he said to me, he goes, for us and for you to be the best, we have to have hard conversations especially around self-awareness. We're going to talk about the things that you really, really excel in. And then I'm going to point out some things that you need to get better. And it may be hard to hear. And that, 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 that's nerve wracking, but I, I built a trust relationship with Pat where we can talk about those things. And it has helped me as a leader to step back and say, you know what? I may have come off abrasive there. Let me work on that. And then next time I'm in a meeting or, Hey, maybe I was very confident in this setting I should have dialed that confidence back and used a different tone. All things that have helped me in my career in three years here, and, and Pat has really shown that to me. So um, self-awareness, always evaluating your style and how you can get better has been a, uh, a blessing for me the last couple of years. No, I, I love that. Now, I'm going to drill down or have you drill down, hopefully, a little yeah. further on this. Yeah. In your career, in this element of self-awareness, is there one single moment you could reflect on that changed the trajectory of are you looked back and said, Ooh, that was a setback and you knew it. And, and yet how did you navigate that water moving forward to, to kind of ease the pain or find a way out of it, if you will. Sure. Uh, so Brian, uh, it's 20, it's 2017. Um, our athletic director uh, was going to announce his retirement. Um, uh, he, he told me he wanted me to be the next athletic director. I was going to be the internal candidate. I was the internal candidate for four months while he was stepping down. And there was a, a, a public search at my previous university. So I was the internal candidate. It was a public search and I still had to do my job. Um, I finished runner up 
And that, that was hard. That, that's a tough thing to do in a community where you have four major news networks uh, in El Paso, Texas. That's all they talk about is the University of Texas El Paso. So I was in the public spotlight. Will, will he or won't he get the job? Everything about that fall was scrutinized. And then I come in runner up. Um, what I learned at that moment is, is you can take your ball and go home. You can pout. You can feel sorry for yourself or you could go to work for your new boss. And Jim Center, who I had a chance to work with for nine months before I came to Washington State, he put his arm around me and said, Chris, I want you to part, be a part of my team. I could have kind of ducked under his arm and said, you're not my guy, but I embraced him as a team player. And Shelly knows this as a former athlete. There's gonna be times where you just wanna walk off that field and quit. And I said to myself, nope, it's just a new ball game. And the new ball game is a new boss. And I've gotta go still compete every day in my role and be the best I could be. Defining moment for me because those nine months of hard work paid off because if I wasn't a team player, Pat would have called Jim and Jim would have said, yeah, this guy, he's a bad apple. He hasn't bought in here and I would have never had an opportunity to work at a power five. So you're going to have opportunities in your career and then you're going to have some disappointments in your career. Have that athlete mentality, next ball game, keep fighting hard and there's a championship season around the corner. Okay. That's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that was I well, a couple of things as you're talking, like one of you ever has anyone asked if you've ever wanted to coach? Because the way you manage and work with people and just want to be there and know how to motivate, I should say, not manage, motivate is very coach like. Um, <laughs> so I hear that. I'm like, wow, he's basically coaching people in the athletic department, um, which is really cool. And then, yeah, and, and not to to focus on quote unquote negative, but I, in your story, I love that you have been able to say, Hey, here's some hard things or like, Hey, I want the negative, the, you know, challenging feedback. That's yeah. It might be hard to hear, but like that helps me. And I think that's one thing we don't talk about enough maybe with our students, or it seems to be like, Oh, we don't want to, sh we shy away from getting feedback. Um, and in reality just makes you better um, and allows you to, to work on your weaknesses rather than, you know, always focus on your strengths. And so um, I think that's awesome. It sounds like you've got a great boss, too, that kind of helps guide you really well. Shelly, 100 percent. And as, as an athlete, when you're reviewing film, it's not always um, uh, roses or butterflies or whatever that expression is. There's going to be a part where they freeze the film and say park. Your hips are out of alignment right here. You should have been trading this way or you needed to block out better or you should have done this on turning the double play. So we've got to take that mentality in life and in leadership. And it's hard mm -hmm. because as an athlete, you expect to be criticized. You expect a coach to make you be better and point out your weaknesses. But for some reason, when you go to work and your boss or your coach tells you you need to get a little bit better about being sensitive to people's needs, maybe in a, in a, in a, in a tough meeting. Yeah, hearing that. And when you put on the mentality of, hey, my boss is my coach. They're trying to make me better. No hard feelings. Yes, boss. Yes, coach. We got this. And I think you're right, Shelly, being a part of sports my whole life and, and thinking about wanting to coach at one point, I do kind of think the coach's mentality, which I think also helps me from a sport administrator perspective is I understand what our coaches are trying to communicate to our athletes and what they need from me in that role. So it, it's very intertwined. Yeah, and I think that's awesome because you you are, you know, one of the things having worked here, UA, you know, there's just varying um, degrees of being a coach versus being an administration. And I don't know if that's really talked about in general, but it's like, well, when somebody can relate to the coaches too, there's a buy-in of like, okay, they can see my perspective rather than it's like admins here and coaches are here, you know, and I think every athletic department is different, you know, depending on who's in what roles and things like that. But I have heard that before. So you having that experience has got to be very um, helpful. It, it does. And, and, and I've worked for some great bosses. My first job, my athletic director, Bobby Williams, was a coach. Um, Bob Stoll, who I worked with at UTEP, um, was a Power 5 football coach, offensive coordinator for Don James at University of Washington. Uh, Andy Reid, Dirk Cutter, Marty Morningway are all NFL coaches because of Bob Stoll. So I learned it administratively from someone with a coaching perspective. So that has helped me when working with coaches because I've seen ADs and you're not seeing so many ADs anymore that are the former coach, right? That, that mm -hmm. day is long gone. Uh, the, an athletic director today is, a, is an executive, they're a CEO. 
So I kind of feel like I've had the best of both worlds. I've worked for executive CEOs, but I've also worked for that former coach slash AD. And just like anything in life, I'm going to try to take Shelly's best qualities and Brian's best qualities. And how can I mold them into my style, still being authentic to myself? But man, Shelly's really good at this. I need to work on that. Hey, Brian approaches these, these tough situations. I need to try to incorporate that. And no different than head coaches. They're always talking to each other, uh, whether it's game planning or motivation. We should do the same thing as administrators. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and what are the some of the best resources that have helped you along the way in your career? Um, golly, definitely just relationships and friends. Um, I've got my cell phone right here. I, I've got a network of, of colleagues that I can text, call, and, and we can talk about anything, especially in this last year relationships, when I could call uh, my, my group of peers and say, how are you doing this? I am lost. I don't have all the answers. Um, you know, the, the people read books and, and, and watch motivational speakers. And, you know, there's 10 million books on leadership and, and, and those are all great. Uh, but I like talking about leadership in the trenches with my peers that I trust. And if it goes back to trust and if you have trust in your colleagues around you, you can be very vulnerable. You can say, Shelly, I don't know what to do here. My boss expects me to know, what are you guys doing? Please help me. You need people like that in your life because I don't have all the answers. Um, a coach used to tell me, uh, used to say, I've been 21, you've never been 55. Uh, <laughs> some stuff in this last year that as an administrator, I've never been through. And none of us had really been through it. Yeah. But to this level of challenges, I needed some people to call and say, has there been anything like this? What did you do? And um, again, you've got you've to be, you've got to have no ego and you've got to be able to pick up the phone and talk to people and say, I need help. So relationships, a good network of, of colleagues that can help. And then also to a family structure. Um, you know, my, my wife is, she's, she's part of this team. My, my son is part of this team. They are all in for Washington state. They're all in for this career. They are at every football game, volleyball game, soccer game. Um, they're, they're at every late night basketball game. Uh, unless my son has an activity, it's not separate. It's not my work world and my family world. They're intertwined. So having a great partner in life that supports me, she sees my work role and they can help me transition to that when we go to the house in the evening because she's a part of it. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it sounds like to do your role, it's so um, encompassing. It would be hard to have a divide there because of the mm -hmm. time and all of that. Because you're, you as an idiot, I would imagine have to also be at various games throughout both all seasons, right? So like as a coach, you have one season on and quote unquote off season, which, you know, we know is not really off, but it's less than, whereas 80s really have to kind of manage all of the year. I, I um, great, great advice is, is if, if you're pursuing this industry at any level, your, your life partner needs to be all in in this career. Because um, if, if, um, if sports is just for you and not for your partner, that divide is real. It's got to be all in. We've got to understand what the role, what this role is like, what the hours are like, how if you want to advance in your career, you may have to go from the Mexican border to the Canadian border and go from 98 days or 98% of the time in sunshine and blue skies in El Paso to learning how to shovel snow in Pullman, Washington. Uh, so you've got to have a great team around you and that's, and your family support is really important for that. Okay. And going off your relationships, you've already really talked about how how critical they are but what are who are three people um who've been the most influential to you um and how have they impacted you your life specifically in your career trajectory so i'll start with a gentleman named bill thornton um uh, bill was an offensive coordinator for jim wacker at tcu a football coach uh he was um my, my father's age um his family uh, went to the same uh, parish that, that we did growing up and when I told my dad that I'd love to intern at TCU one summer just to get an experience in, in working in college athletics, my dad said, well, let's call Coach Thornton, who was retired and working for the Chamber of Commerce at that time, but because Bill had coached there and because Bill still knew people in the athletic department, he was able to get me a, a free internship doing what I talked about in that, in that first answer. If Bill Thornton wouldn't have done that for me, I am not here today. Uh, Bill Thornton had a relationship at Texas State which helped me get that job at Texas State. 
So for everyone listening right now, the, 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 the dad that you don't really know that may sit next to you at church or as part of a, a civic organization with your parents or whatever, that, that person may be able to help you get your foot in the door. So Bill, Bill, Bill Thornton, number one, I send him a thank you card all the time as I've moved in my career without him. Number two, I would say Bob Stoll. Uh, again, I worked for him at the University of Texas El Paso. In terms of um, leadership trees, and success. People that have worked for Bob, uh, Mac Rhodes is the AD at Baylor. Lisa Campos is the AD at UTSA. Um, the list goes on and on on the administrative side. On the coaching side, I mentioned Andy Reid and Dirk Cutter and Marty Morningway and thousands of other coordinators and coaches. So Bob, again, taught me about how to grow people and to let people go be successful. I still talk to Bob probably once a week. He's retired, but he wants to know what's going on both on the coaching side and the administrative side. And then I would say three is Pat Chun right now. Uh, I am so fortunate to work for an athletic director that is in the mix of this industry. If it's a committee that is involved in college athletics and our future, Pat is involved. Uh, we joke that in the Pac-12, they, they put Pat on everything, but I think it's because they trust him. They trust his leadership. So to be able to work with a man like that, that can really keep me at the cutting edge of knowing where we're going as an industry I couldn't ask for a better mentor and boss right now who's literally on the front lines helping make these decisions in college athletics. That's a, yeah, that's awesome. I, I mean, it's amazing that you, how you've been able to see the pieces and the people and how the you know puzzle fits together. And, and yeah, you've been able to go back and thank the people that really got you the first, you know, again, like you said, the first job that you're like, if I didn't say that, and if I didn't reach out, he didn't do this. It's the small things. And I think that's one thing to really, um, yeah, and line our students on is like it, you, it could be your classmate, right? It could be your, you never know the connections that are in the room. And so just being mindful that, and, and reputation, right? I think our, this generation and social media and all the things that go out as well will impact some of the people, you know, reaching out for them. You know, right? how are you building your reputation? Um, so yeah, that's great. That's right. You never know who you're going to sit next to. Uh, <laughs> conversation with them. Don't stay in your lane and, and look at your smart box the whole time. <laughs> That's why gossip is so bad because you never know who you're sitting around and you never know what could come back to you. So always speak highly of people because to your point, the person next to you is the one that could maybe get you that internship. Oh, heck yeah. No, I we we emphasize that in the classes that we teach in sport career prep and advanced career prep where we have them turn to the student next to them and strike up a conversation. And go, you need to get to know because you don't know where they'll be in their careers either today, five years from now, 10. So let's let's start this process here and now. So and, and along those lines are even kind of pivoting a little bit. How have you seen the collegiate athletic realm change in the last few years or, you know, since you began your career in it? And it's been for the positive, negative. What, what is your your take on that? So kind of kind of twofold. Uh, number one, the amount of money and the separation between the Power Five and then the University of Texas El Paso's, the Texas States, uh, the University of New Mexico, your G5 level school, mm -hmm. the separation in the last 15 or 20 years because of TV revenue. When I got to the University of Texas El Paso in 2012, I think our TV deal was a little over a million dollars. Uh, University of Houston, SMU, all those schools that are, that are in the American Conference were in that league. When I left the University of Texas El Paso in 2018, I think the TV deal was down to $350,000. Uh, the, the money has gone to the Power Fives. Wow. You're able to see what they do with that money. Uh, you're able to pay administrators, coaches. You're able to build bigger buildings, uh, build uh, greater facilities. Because we could still fundraise at the University of Texas El Paso. We, we could still generate private revenue. We added on to the Sun Bowl. We, we did a $20 million campaign there at, at, at Texas State. We did multiple seven-figure campaigns. You can raise money at any university, NAIA, but the infusion of guaranteed dollars from a TV contract cannot be replaced. And in the SEC, when you get a guaranteed infusion of $50 million because of being on the SEC network and with ESPN, that's a gift that comes every year. Uh, and those other schools don't have that. So that, that would be number one. Num number two um, is, is really in the last six to nine months, how we now have a constitutional committee. It's funny when I say that, it sounds like the Constitutional Congress getting together in Philadelphia. Uh, is our representative on, on the, uh, the Pac-12 for that. 
we're basically we're going to reshape the NCAA as we know it. Uh, Brian, the rule book is this thick. What will it look like in the next 24 months, 12 months? Yeah. I don't know. That is going to be truly fascinating. Uh, name, name, image, and likeness, the transfer portal. Uh, it is just such a different environment right now, uh, which I think a lot of these things are positive. Look, name, image, and likeness, and I'm sure we'll talk about later, I think is outstanding. If you're a talented student athlete that can monetize their name, image, and likeness, all for it. The chemistry student on a full scholarship has been able to do it. The engineering student, uh, what, why, why not soccer player, the volleyball player, the football player? We all know why, because of the bad apples and the people that would use it to leverage at, from a recruiting advantage or to maybe get that five-star recruit. I think that's going to happen in the small minority, the less than 1%. Let the 99% go have fun, make, make a little extra money. So we're seeing a total shift. We're also seeing more control to the student athletes, which I think is a good thing as well, too. We're seeing more lawsuits against maybe coaches that um, run their programs in a different manner, and they're not, they haven't evolved to how they should run a program in 2021. They may be running the program like you did in 1988. It's not a 1988 student athlete. It's not a 1968 student athlete in 2021, 2022. Well, coaches have had to adapt. Student athletes have more rights and freedom, which I think is a good thing. The money is 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 is, is big, and it is creating separation that we've never seen before. No, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. In staying in that lane, and you brought up name, image, likenesses, which is something we were going to touch on. If you were a student today, and whether you were a student that's just attending a university or a student athlete, uh, you know. What would you tell them? What kind of insight could you provide to prepare themselves for the direction collegiate athletes are going in, specifically in name image likeness? Is there anything they should become aware of or study in, you know, from a management perspective or an athlete perspective that will help with this curve? Or are we really entering this, this unknown? Uh, the, the first thing I would say is your brand is forever. Uh, mm -hmm. So what you do. So I, I, I didn't have social media. I had disposable cameras. And uh, you know, <laughs> get that camera, you know, uh, uh, print, uh, the pictures printed off at Kroger's or, or whatever. Those memories were gone. You just threw the camera away. Uh, so, not only do you have social media, a lot of our students are leveraging social media through impressions and likes and followers to generate revenue. What What do you want to be associated with when, when you go to meet Brian or Shelley at the University of Florida for grad school, and you see what you were associated with just for a couple hundred bucks? Mm, is that the person we want to have as part of our program? So mm. brand and your name are forever. And number two, like you don't have to do name, image, and likeness. Like if you don't want to make extra money or do that, you don't have to do it because it's work. Uh, running a business is work. Being an entrepreneur is work. Uh, you have taxes. You have deadlines. You have uh, obligations. Sometimes an 18 to 22-year-old just wants to study, go to practice, compete, and have some fun with friends, which I, we're not talking about that enough. You don't have to do name image and likeness. You could still just be a student athlete that has a great college experience. But if you want to go down that road, hey, just know that you're now an entrepreneur or your name is associated with a brand and um, just be very, very careful of those things. So I would just go back to tell young people and say, if you got a great idea and think you can monetize it, awesome. But in the end, it's not always about the money. The four years in higher education and, and being in college is pretty special. Make sure you enjoy that as well, too. Now, you're you're the first, and I've had dozens of conversations about name image like this to say, you don't have to do it. Uh, it's such a simple solution at the end of the day. So right. I, I appreciate the insight because that's right. something that, that we haven't discussed or heard uh, thus far. Yeah, I think there's so much hype. There's been so much hype around it that it's almost assumed everyone will, right? Yeah. Because it's like, oh, well, you can, so you will. But that's not always the best for everyone. Um, and it, yeah, I think that's a, a great um, encouragement for students. I've actually had, I was talking that conversation yesterday as well, and she was saying how um, even actually athlete, I mean, students are, can help athletes now, which has not been talked about either, where like student athletes will, will could be, um, could use a regular student to help guide and manage some of these accounts and all of these other areas now, which is um, an interesting thought. Um, because they've never had needed to, and you never could really help. You know, there was there was always parameters. So, um. Shelly, I, 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 to expand for the students watching right now, especially that want to get into creative digital space, that are very talented 
with their phone, with videos, with graphic design. I'm sure y'all have over 500 student athletes at the University of Florida. You have a, a, a pool of athletes that need high level content created for them to enhance their brand right now. If you need a side hustle and you have that skill set, start marketing yourself to student athletes, come up with a good price and start generating content because we all know that this content um, era that we're in, you can't hire enough videographers, graphic designers, social media staff members. This, this right here is a mobile studio and, and you can do a lot with this. So if you're 19 years old and you're really talented and you know the starting goalkeeper at the University of Florida and she's having a great year and maybe wants to boost her brand or profile, set a meeting, set a price and see where you land. Uh, but Shelly, great point. Students can become more involved and, and help other students right now uh, in, in, in this new world we live in. Yeah, it'll, it's going to get interesting. I mean, in some ways it's exciting, right? Because you're going to get to see so much different content and the creativity that students will be allowed to have. Um, I'm sure it also for you and, and athletic departments and others, it might be a bit challenging to track and to, <laughs> you know, when taxes come around, it's going to get really dicey, you know, <laughs> but um, hopefully that's on them. And it so, is, right. it's, on, it's on them. Great point. They've got to be prepared for Uncle Sam. I mean, it's, it's a reality that we all know very well. Yeah. yeah. So it's probably nice for y'all to be like, finally, we're not responsible for something. And NCAA is like, we ain't responsible either. <laughs> um, so in your transitions, because you, you have moved to different universities and different levels, what has it been like for you? And what would you encourage our students who are kind of climbing the ladder? Because um, we have varying ages, especially for our online um, master students who are transitioning in different, whether that's in marketing to um, ticket sales or that is in across the leagues or college to pros, things like that. What would you encourage them? Yeah, find, find a mentor, uh, find someone that they can just ask for help. Uh, hey, uh, Mr. Smith, can you be my mentor? Will you review my resume? Uh, um, Shelly, um, can you be a reference? Uh, um, what, what do I need to be prepared for in an interview? Really, really simple things like that, because if I think about the first couple jobs I got, I winged it. I, I think really a mentor and maybe because I'm perceived as a good communicator that gave me a leg up, but maybe you're not a great communicator. Maybe you get nervous in interviews like 95% of Americans do. What do I need to be prepared for? Those are simple things that someone could say, look, as a 22 year old trying to get your first job, here are four things that that boss just wants to hear. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. That'll separate you in an interview. Um, when it relates to a resume, if you're going for a creative position today and you turn in to me just a PDF with a bunch of typed words on there, I want to see your um, your Adobe Spark page. I want to see your link to your portfolio. Um, if you've been in sales, I want to see your sales results. Um, I want to talk to a supervisor that says, Brian Avery is an animal on the phone. He, he, he starts making calls at 7.59 and will make calls till 5.01. Those are strategies a mentor can help you to be successful. Without that, you essentially have to wing it in an interview. And if you're not a great communicator, winging it won't get it done. So find a mentor, let them help you prepare for an interview, let them help you find opportunities, help you in the interview process, and then go do a good job and see where you can land and if you can get, a, get that first full-time job. Yeah. Great. And what are things, um, this is a little more personal, but for you in this high paced world, as you mentioned, what are ways that, uh, things you do to stay healthy? Um, we've thrown the word balance out because there's just, there's no, how do you define that? And nobody's really comfortable with that word in general. They're like, Oh, well, uh, so how do you stay healthy? <laughs> so, um, I've had various levels of health and fitness and healthiness in my life. I would say the last nine months or 10 months throughout the, the pandemic and, uh, and, and um, we, we were different with some policies here out West than maybe other parts of the country. Um, I grew closer to my wife. Uh, we used to go in different directions in the morning. She slept in. I worked out at the gym at 530. Mm. We started working out together virtually because the gyms were closed up here. We essentially now have a date every morning. We work out together every morning and get to spend time just together working out. We used to never do that. The first 12 years of our marriage, separate ways in the morning. So now we have a date every morning. So number one, I'm healthy from a physical perspective. 
And number two, I feel like I'm hanging out with my wife in the morning, which is good for your, your partner and your relationship. Uh, and then number three, I've taken more time to be quiet, um, to pray, uh, just to just prepare me for the day in the morning as well, too. Used to never do it. I used to just got to grab my stuff, got to go, got to be in the office. What COVID taught me is because when you work from home, you could slow down a little bit because your office was five steps away from your bedroom. So maybe you could have breakfast with your son or daughter or walk your kid to school. I've tried to incorporate some of those things from working from home now back into my come back to the office. I get to the office now at around 8.09 to 8.15. I never would have done that before the pandemic. I would have been like, I'm late. But I've incorporated <laughs> some new things in my morning routine, spending time with my wife, walking my son to school, a little quiet time. And it's made me a better person. It's made me healthier physically, spiritually, mentally. So I would tell everyone, find your routine. Some people it's an evening routine. Some people it's a lunchtime workout. Build in a routine for yourself. I've only figured that out in the last 10 months. I wish I knew that in the first uh, 19 years of my career. Uh, those are some good tips, actually. So I think I have to uh, reassess uh, my routine. No, I, I keep thinking, I'm like, oh, I like this perspective of virtually <laughs> working out with your wife. I'm like, all right, I could, I could make that happen. You know what I mean? So, and I was watching the virtual people on the screen and working out together. Like she's in the room. I maybe I didn't. Oh, okay. Like, those like logistically, workouts. how does that work? I've got a. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's funny. Anyways, so you brought up like students and we talked about, you know, these high, high paced environments. We've talked about name, image, likeness and, and whatnot. The next phase of this is when you're looking to hire someone uh, who is graduating from college in a sport management department or not. Uh, what are you looking for specifically? And do you have any specific suggestions for a student that is navigating that new hire process, if you will? Uh the, the, the first job is work ethic. Um, outside of someone that's maybe a creative videographer or someone with, with like a true skill set, mm -hmm. you're going to learn on the job and you'll still learn on the job in those skill set jobs. Work ethic and a great attitude. If you're going to work hard and have a great attitude about, about listening and getting better and, and, and saying yes to everything, that's what you got to do as a first time employee. Mm -hmm. If it's more about what are my hours? What do I get paid? What's my office like? How much gear do I get? Uh, those are all red flags. In the interview process, if you can talk about ready for this first opportunity, I want to give it 150%. I will do anything that you ask. If you talk to my previous internship um, supervisors and they say that this person was dedicated to the organization, just bring a great work ethic and a great attitude. We can teach you the rest. But if you don't have that skill set, if you can't articulate it or have mentors call and say, hey, Chris, Shelly will bust her butt for you every single day and have a smile on her face, then I know we've got someone that's ready to work really, really hard. I didn't know anything in my first full-time job and I was overwhelmed, but I felt like I had a good work ethic and a good attitude. And my boss knew that I would make mistakes along the way, but I could overcome those mistakes through, through work ethic. So just work hard, have a great attitude and get your foot in that door and you'll do great in that first job. Okay. No, that's, that's a really good point. I appreciate that. Now, if, if students wanted to connect with you, kind of learn a little bit more from you, whether it's through social media or directly emailing you, is there a best, best method that you're, you're, you're willing to do so for, for our UF student population? Yeah. So uh, three easy ways, LinkedIn, okay. uh, Chris, Chris Park, Washington state university. I should pop up there. I think I'm connected with Shelly, Brian, let's connect. Let's do uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> then you'll know you've got the right Chris Park there uh, on Twitter, uh, cpark18. Okay. Um, follow me on Twitter, send me a direct message, or just look me up on the staff directory, chris.p.park at wsu.edu. Send me an email. Um, again, always here to help or put people in front of the right folks to help them in their career. Um, I, would, I would be doing a disservice to my friend and mentor, Bill Thornton, if I said no to Shelly, who emailed me and said, can you review my resume? Because if Bill didn't do that for me, I wouldn't be here today. And uh, I, I feel like I owe that and, and, and other mentors to do that as well, too. Okay. And that's extremely generous. And we appreciate that. And thank you for the ways, multiple ways for our students to connect. Now, 
on Voices from the Field beyond, you know, the fun we've had already. We like to take a step further, all right? Yeah. Yep. So we've got this rapid fire QA uh, session that is chock full of lighthearted questions that Shelly is going to uh, propose to you. All right. Shelly, fire away. Okay. We got, I'm going to, I have a timer, one minute. And um, yeah, I'm just going to fire them off. If you want to pass, you can pass, but we're going to see how many you get through. And whatever comes to your mind, they're not hard. Are you ready? Let's go. All right. Here we go. When you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? A professional baseball player. Favorite sport to play? Uh, football, basketball, and baseball growing up. What's the worst haircut you've ever had? Oh, I put I put stripes in the side of my head in seventh <laughs> grade. With uh, I was ahead of my time, but I had lines in my head in seventh grade. Love it. Nice. Um, name two daily habits. Uh, working out and quiet time for myself. Favorite zoo animal? Oh, man. Lion. First job? Uh, mowing yards in the neighborhood. What phone app do you waste the most time on? Instagram, bad. <laughs> current, current hobby. Uh, golf and barbecue. Mm. If I looked up your most played songs, what song or artist would I see? Uh, any anything Texas country or Willie Nelson, uh, old school country as well. Okay. okay. What makes you laugh the most? Uh, just talking to my son. What motivates you to work hard? My family. And last question, Netflix, Prime Video, or Cable? I, I cut the cord in 2012. I was way ahead of the curve. Uh, <laughs> right now, Netflix and that Formula One. I, I didn't know anything about racing, but the drama in F1 is pretty cool. That's a pretty cool series about Formula One right now. Awesome. In time. Perfect. Look, and now we know. Now we know everything about Chris. There is no. Yeah. <laughs> So, Chris, we really appreciate you uh, joining us today and taking the time uh, to talk about your pro professional endeavors. Uh, I am certain University of Florida Department of Sport Management students, our faculty, our alumni appreciate uh, and value your thoughts that you provided today. So thank you so much. Uh, so with that said, please follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at UFSPM. We are your host, Brian Avery. And Shelly Lyle. And... and Go, go Gators. Gators. Yes, there we go. Yeah, we appreciate that. It's in you. It. It's, it's in your blood a little bit. I, 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 I have been accepted at the University of Florida, so uh, I, I never took a class. Now, I've got to tell you guys, can someone do a screenshot or take a picture? Because I've got to show the world that I was a part of this awesome podcast today and everything. Oh, yeah. We'll take a picture. Absolutely. All righty. All right. Thank you so much for viewing today uh, and take care. Be safe. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.